My name is Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. Now, this episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, during which time public worship has been disrupted. We don't have it every Sunday. Therefore, all sermons have been recorded ahead of time to make them available online. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture is NRSV, used under the gratis policy of the copyright holder, the National Council of Churches. Our first reading comes from Philippians, the second chapter. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here ends the reading. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 19th chapter. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. As Jesus enters into Jerusalem, we take a big sigh of relief. Lent is finally over. You can set aside that Lenten fast. We don't have to dwell so much in our frailty, our mortality. No more of that repentance stuff. At least not until next year. Wait, that doesn't sound quite right. I mean, we never fully let go of any of that, of course, but Lent is also only kind of over. It's kind of not. Let's say for the sake of argument, you decided to fast for 40 days to give something up as a way to honor Jesus fasting that many days in the wilderness. 
Well, if you were keeping track at home, maybe there's two ways you could have counted them. On the first, you might have started after Ash Wednesday's service. So we're not gonna count that as a whole day. And then if we start the next day, 40 days would land us here on Palm Sunday. But the second way, which to be clear is the traditional way, it's the way the Roman Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church do it, the way we count the days of Lent, the 40 days of Lent, is to skip the Sundays between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. If we do that, 40 days gets you to Easter. See, every Sunday, including those in Lent, is considered a mini Easter. We gather because of the crucified Christ and then proclaim him risen every week, which is what Easter is all about. So if the Easter Sunday is the reprieve from your Lenten fast, then perhaps you take a little break on those little Easters, the Sundays in between. Now, this is to say nothing of the easier way that many of us go about this, which is just fast from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday, but, you know, and then don't worry about how many days that is. It ends up being 46. But I mention these two ways of doing things because whether this week should be considered the end of Lent or its own separate church season as to sort of begin Easter, to transition into Easter, there's a bit of a debate there. And it's a little bit ambiguous the way we handle it. And the way we handle it kind of plays it both ways and leaves the situation a little muddy. And that's not the only place it's a little muddy. Even the individual days may feel like they run together, not just these two seasons. Here's another example of two ways we might handle this time of transition. Today, in many places, is Palm slash Passion Sunday. That's an order of service that opens with a few um, readings, it's open with a psalm, and then the gospel reading we just had, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, and then there's a procession of sorts. And then right about when they get to the front of the sanctuary, or at least by the time the order of confession begins, we skip right ahead to the Passion. The Passion as in Jesus' trial and crucifixion, as in the events of Good Friday. We give five minutes to the Sunday and then skip all the way to Friday for the rest of the hour. But if we do that, then on Thursday we fall back to the night before, and then on Friday we have the Passion again? That's a little jarring. There's got to be good reason if we're going to allow that kind of muddiness. So why do what we do if that's what we chose to do on a given year? Well, to start, there's the cold hard reality that while the events of Holy Week are absolutely central to our faith as Christians, that's as individuals, congregations, the church universal, the fact is most people just don't attend Maundy Thursday and Good Friday services. As a result, many congregations just don't even hold them. Therefore, the entirety of Holy Week gets run through in that one hour on Sunday morning. It would have been this hour. Okay, even setting that aside, there's also something to be said for the fact that these days in Holy Week do, in fact, intertwine. You can't have Jesus rise from the dead without first dying, of course, but then there's so much more besides. Most, perhaps all, of the important threads that comprise our faith find their way woven through Holy Week in some way. Hence again, it pulls Lent in from before and Easter in from afterward. 
As I said, there's another way we could do this, which is to let Jesus's entry into Jerusalem stand on its own. Let Palm Sunday just be Palm Sunday, no passion, and dwell with those crowds as they celebrate their anticipated deliverance. It's a very different tone. The crowds would fold right in with our transition and themes. They understand the hardships of mortality, of weakness, of oppression. They yearn for a savior because they feel powerless in the face of a, a chaotic, evil, troubled world. The hope Christ brings, hope that's just on the horizon, is reason to celebrate. And that right there is why we do what we do when we isolate Palm Sunday. The crowds are stand-ins for what it's like to meet God in hopeful anticipation after a long struggle which seemed to have no end save for God. Now, I suppose, real quick, as a cheeky aside, a sort of half-joke, the other reason to let Palm Sunday stand on its own, as we often do, is so that you would hopefully attend on Thursday and Friday, too, to give Holy Week its due. But today... We're jumping around quite a bit. I'm allowing for some of that muddiness to pour in. Pulling up some of those threads that weave throughout the week. And with that, there's one aspect of this muddiness that we will focus on this morning, which is the paradoxical nature of Jesus as king. The paradox of Palm slash Passion. The fact that Jesus is hailed as king at his entry on Palm Sunday, but killed as a criminal shortly after, by Friday. Because we know that in the back of our heads, we know that's where this is going, even if we tried to isolate Palm Sunday. The crowds back then got hints, that's where this was headed. They missed the fact that Jesus' entry on a donkey is to fulfill a prophecy in Zechariah, but the Gospel of John tells us the disciples figured it out later. That's how most of these clues go. They just didn't get it at the time. It seems like, uh, well, let's consider that donkey for another moment. That seems like something we could just fly right past. Jesus fulfilled another prophecy. So what? The so what is that it connects Jesus back to the entirety of the biblical tradition that, again, along with a handful of other hints that they might have missed, connects what's happening here. It's a connection that lets God's people see what was really going on in the Christ event on Holy Weekend otherwise. So the Jesus riding on the donkey, this, this taps into an ancient idea that stretches back throughout the biblical narrative. We have younger brothers winning one over on their older brothers. There's Drunkards and low repute saving their families. There's slaves rising to power. There's stuttering orphans in a foreign land freeing their people. Lowly shepherd boys becoming kings. When God breaks into the world, God utterly upends our expectations. We humans love our hierarchies to put some at the top, some at the bottom, and everyone else in between. And God loves to flip that on its head. The people we ignore, their voices, their ideas, God thrusts them into the limelight. God takes who was powerless, rejected, and oppressed and puts them above their abusers. It's only fitting then that God incarnate, living as a human in history, destined to be king of creation, would embrace that sort of lowliness. Again, so that those who know God, who have heard the stories, who trust that God will do as God has done and promises to do going forward, we would recognize that it is in Christ's humility 
that he is glorified. The paradox that the lauded king, who the crowds expect to be glorified, will be glorified by dying among thieves. With that as our focus, about the shortest text which proclaims the gospel is also the oldest recorded Christian hymn. It's our reading from Philippians today. Jesus, who was in the form of God, humbled himself unto death, even death on a cross. The greatest of the great took on the role of the lowest of the low. But what about this even death on a cross? There's something lost in translation here because that doesn't mean the same thing today that it did back then. In fact, let's consider two images that don't quite match our cultural context like they did back then. First, uh, as a king would enter through the city gates, he would do so on a horse fit for battle, and the people would laud his return, believing that, or at least pantomiming that they believed, his entry would bring peace and prosperity to the people there. With an added twist, the emperor in Jesus' day bore the title Son of God. The people were led to believe that his reign brought about divine favor. That's all in the cultural milieu. But on the other hand, the crowds here overwhelmingly do not believe Jesus to be the Son of God, not yet. The political power claims God's authority, but doesn't have it. Jesus takes no earthly power, yet has God's authority. And then the second image is that death even on a cross. Crucifixion was typically reserved for non-citizens who caused some kind of political trouble, like rebels, zealots. Uh, but of course, we have the occasional murderer or thief. This was a form of punishment that was so humiliating that it was reserved for the lowest of the low. Often the crucified would hang there for days, maybe a week, and slowly starve. It was public, it was horrific, it was humiliating. It was one of the worst ways to die. In the form of God, he emptied himself to a death like that. So really, in all honesty, one reason we do what we do as far as combining Palm Passion into one Sunday is because it's difficult to understand the weight of all that's going on at Jesus' entry unless we put them together, pull these threads in. He fulfills prophecy through what we might call a minor miracle, riding that unbroken beast of burden that belongs to a stranger who didn't put up a fight when they borrowed it. Bit of a miracle there, followed by another minor miracle that the crowds are so ecstatic as to meet him that they come crying. Matthew and Mark tell us they come crying, Hosanna, which is save us in their native tongue, not the language of the empire. The crowds gather and cry out such that he cannot be ignored, and the news of his trial and execution won't be ignored either. In this, we find an echo of what happened last week. There it was privately with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in their home. They go about celebrating, visiting, expressing gratitude to Jesus. But Jesus knew what was really going on, that his death was on the horizon. Today it's more of a public event. The crowds behave as though Jesus will come deliver them from every burden, from the empire, from struggle, from suffering, from hunger, from chaos, from death, and all the rest. But Jesus knows that the victory he will win for them is not a earthly matters. It's not about material wealth or physical, physical sustenance or political power. It's about ushering in the kingdom and preparing a place for them in it, which culminates in the hereafter, 
into eternity. So what about us here today? In the meantime, looking back, are we like the crowds? Do we know oppression, suffering, hardship? Do we yearn for deliverance? Well, we do live in interesting times. There's misunderstandings everywhere. Misdirection besides, like intentionally leading people to misunderstand. Then conflict abounds. There's literal war on the news. And in turn, economic hardship across the globe. We have a literal plague that still ravages in many parts of the world, especially where vaccination wasn't available or widely adopted. We have this reprieve of sorts here and now, but in no sense is that hardship completely over. Humanity has been crying out, save us, at least somewhere, every year. But the cries have been louder than usual and found in more places than ever these past few years. At the same time, throughout the years, the church has been proclaiming Christ crucified and risen. We've proclaimed that he is the king of creation now, and his salvific work means every voice might confess and every knee should bend at some glorious, as of yet, unrealized future date. In the face of hardship, every Sunday is Easter. Every day is influenced by the crucifixion too. Every moment is informed by your baptism, dead to sin, alive to Christ. For this age we are living in, today's thread runs through every day too. Every day is Palm Sunday. All glory, laud, and honor to our Redeemer King. Salvation is assured. Christ is the victor. We are pulled into Easter. But maybe it's still kind of Lent because we also know that dark days lie ahead. Hardship is on its way. Suffering, humiliation, and death still have their part to play in this cosmic story of creation which God is telling. For Jesus, that horror will be the cross. For us, perhaps only God knows when and how we might suffer and die. So repent while you can. Draw near to God now as the kingdom draws near to you. Throw down your worldly attachments that it might honor Christ. And then we join with the crowds on that Sunday, this Sunday, and most every day of every year in between. Hosanna in the highest. Dear God, save us. Amen. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end here, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio of my sermons does not always include proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study. I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave. Some credit is due to at least one of those sources. Wherever you are, whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other, and have a great rest of the week.